Are you a podcast guy? Of course. Really? Of course. If you listen to any music at all, you've probably heard of Spotify. And if you're an OG Spotify user, you may remember that Spotify used to have apps. Tunigo? Mm-hmm. That um, was an app on Spotify. Um, back, back when Spotify had apps, I don't know if you guys remember that. They used to have lyrics. I, I, I don't know if they had a partnership with Genius, but they used to have lyrics. Do you remember that? It's like top requested um, integration from like all of the community, like Spotify community, comments, whatever. And a lot more that has since changed and evolved. One person who was there through everything was John Stein. John started working at Spotify in 2013. Since then, he's become the North American lead at Spotify, co-created Playlist Pollen, and been named one of the future 25 by Rolling Stone. In this episode, John and I talk about how we got to Spotify, the idea behind Spotify, how much music is changing, and how he has overcome challenges in his own life. I'm Madison, and this is Came a Long Way. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Came a Long Way. I'm your host today, Madison Pringle. And with me, I have John Stein. How are you doing, Jay John? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, of course. So for those of you who may not know, John Stein is currently the North American lead at Spotify. He is a playlist curator and co-created the playlist Pollen. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. Yeah, of course. So the first thing I want to talk about is just to go a little bit into about, you know, how you grew up and what made you really want to get into music. Sure. Yeah. Um, so I, I came from, I guess, somewhat of a musical family. My, uh, my dad is a, uh, a trained concert pianist. So I listened to a lot of classical music as a really? kid. Yeah. Um, I played piano myself, um, then played trumpet and any instrument I wanted to play. My, my dad was just like, as long as you're passionate, we'll make it happen. Um, that kind of led to me um, playing in bands in high school, um, all different styles of music, generally rock, generally pretty angsty, um, <laughs> like angry or sad, more sad towards the end, I guess. <laughs> and um, so, yeah, that, that was kind of the beginning. Um, but always listening to music, always digging for new stuff. And um, I, I feel really lucky that um, my family was so supportive and encouraging of me exploring music. And Yeah. 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 My mom was actually an opera singer, so. Oh, nice. Kind of not as intense. Yeah. Don't, can't sing at all. Yeah, yeah. Have nothing to do with that, but. A little bit musical. It's like the interesting side of my family. The classical training. (laughs) It definitely, there's an intensity about the music. So when you were growing up, you were listening to a lot of music. You said it was very like angsty stuff. Did you, did you always see yourself, I guess, kind of in this professional light or like working a professional job like this? Uh, No, I wanted to be a rock star. Really? Oh yeah. A hundred percent. Definitely wanted to be a rock star. Um, And that, that was the dream. I mean, in, in my view, what a rock star meant meant different things at different times. I loved, um, you know, uh, my, one of my first favorite bands was The Strokes. I thought they were the coolest New York band, and I just wanted to be like a badass rock star like them. Um, but I also loved like 50 Cent and Eminem, and you know, they're kind of rock stars too. So, Lil Wayne, <laughs> listen to a lot of Wayne. He's a rock star for sure. So, yeah, it was kind of a spectrum of things, but um, 
yeah, definitely wanted to be a professional musician. But it sounds like being in the music industry in general, it kind of came naturally to you that you wanted to do that. Was there anything that helped you kind of really hone in and focus that you actually wanted to do it? Because I'm thinking, you know, there's a lot of people our age, um, you know, just graduated college, about to graduate, who don't really know what they want to do yet. Was there anything that helped you specify that was what you wanted to do? Mm. Yeah, definitely. I think um, one of the first things... um, and I feel lucky in this way is that I, I realized I was like not a super talented musician. Um, and I had the self-awareness for that. Um, I also, um, you know, kind of realized that I love music and I'm super passionate about music, but um, it, I, it, I kind of have to push to write music and to practice my instruments and everything. So I realized I didn't have to push at all to just dig in blogs and listen to every new thing that was coming out. I love knowing what was going on listening to every different kind of music. So um, with that in mind, I kind of realized like I could do this um, and not be a musician myself. And um, when I went to college, I started to look at different options. I knew that the, the school I was going to, Fordham, had a great radio station. So that was the first thing I did mm-hmm. was sign up for that station um, and just get my foot in the door there. Um, so that was that was huge and just like being able to explore a professional music environment Mm -hmm. um, with some really seasoned professionals in the radio space. Um, So I I started to realize this, this could be a career outside of playing music. Yeah. And then you joined Spotify in 2013. Am I right about that? Mm -hmm. 2013. So how do you go from, you know, just working in a radio station, being in college and then transition to Spotify? Yeah. Hmm. I took a drink right at the worst moment there. Um, <laughs> I um, yeah. So uh, when when I was in college, I um, from the radio station, I did sound engineering, I did um, programming of their playlists. So you know, listening to new music that's coming in, I opened a thousand, you know, mailers with CDs, and listened to a ton of those. Um, so I was kind of trying everything. Um, through them, I I got a few internships. Mm-hmm. Um, one of them was at Capitol Records. Um, and that was amazing experience, um, in the radio promotions department there. And then the A&R department later. And, um, and from there, you know, tried to explore more internships. Um, I ended up getting connected to a company called Tunigo Mm -hmm. that, um, was an app on Spotify. Um, back, back when Spotify had apps, I don't know if you guys remember that. Yeah. Um, it was, um, basically just like a discovery feature. So you could go in and say like, I want to chill and we'll recommend playlists for you. There were articles back then. They were interviewing artists. So I started doing that. Um, I was writing, you know, sometimes 10 to 12 articles a week after class, um, making playlists, some of them that still exist now, um, for this app called Tunigo. And um, right around the time I was graduating, they got acquired by Spotify. Mm-hmm. So I was... Um, really lucky in that way. Great timing. And um, I managed to um, get a get a job when they got acquired. So something also that I think is really interesting, the fact that you started in 2013 and then you still work at Spotify, is I feel like a lot in terms of playlisting from 2013 onwards has changed specifically in that time. Because I know in 2014, it was like a really big year for data within the music industry. I know 300 Entertainment in 2014... I believe they made a partnership or had a partnership with Twitter. And then shortly after that, Warner Music said that they were going to do a similar partnership with Shazam and get internal data from them. And then 
like a couple weeks after they announced that, Spotify acquired, and I think it's called EcoNest, or yeah. is it EchoNest? EchoNest, yeah. EchoNest for $50 million, mm-hmm. which seems really expensive, but in the grand scheme of things, I don't really think it was because after you guys acquired that, for me anyway, just like as a consumer and someone who uses yeah. Spotify, I feel like that's what really set you guys apart because I really gave you guys a lot of data mm-hmm. that helped you kind of create those really niche specific playlists like Discover Weekly and things like that. Mm-hmm. And then at the time, I felt like Spotify was really the only app that was digging that deep in because the recommendations Discover Weekly and those playlists give you are really accurate. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, it's amazing. Yeah, I mean, Echo Nest is incredible. I think, um, you know, they they are the best they were. I mean, now, now they're totally integrated in the company. Yeah. Um, and a lot of those teams... Uh, uh, kind of created new areas within the company um, in the product side specifically. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think um, the, the data is is integral to, to Spotify. Um, I think um, it's, it's it definitely drives what we do on the curation side. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think it's I think it's super important across the entire industry right now. Um, it's um, it's definitely changed the, the shape of the industry. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And then making, and you originally started off kind of as like an editor and a curator at Spotify, correct? Mm-hmm. Yep. So from 2013, and then I believe they acquire 2014, they acquire Echo Nest yep. onward. Did you see so, like yeah. a big difference because of that? Or was it still like you were using it? It just wasn't that Spotify had bought it really. What, what, what I do know that, that the Echo Nest did is create... Um, an amazing system of like being able to map artists and um, creating like a system of metadata behind the music for us. Yeah. So um, that's really the basis for all of our recommendations um, and, you know, how we pair people with music, how we um, give people the right playlists or the right new release and release radar. And um, yeah, that's the things that make Discover Weekly so, so special. Um, and, and, you know, the work that that company did for years before they were acquired by us is definitely the, the, one of the foundations of our personalization overall. Mm-hmm. And personalization is, you know, a huge, huge part of what, what Spotify does. It, it touches everything. As a playlist curator at Spotify, how much of that is data and how much of it is you actually giving recommendations and picking what goes on a playlist? Yeah, I mean, I think um, it's, it's kind of funny. I think the data manages to touch everything yeah. in some way. Um, maybe, maybe the only thing that doesn't is, you know, you listen to a song and, you know, how you react to that song is still a huge part of, of the job of curating. You yeah. Know? Um, and there's, there's no data on, on new songs. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so that's, that's a huge part of what a human curator does at Spotify. Um, you know, we're listening to the unreleased music, um, and trying to figure out where does this go? Um, who, who's going to react well to this, you know? how strong is this single, that kind of thing. So, um, yeah, I mean, that, that, that piece, but everything else, you know, the way we curate, the way we look at things, um, you know, how we recommend stuff, you know, how we promote our, our content, our own content, like playlists and whatnot, is mm-hmm. all um, influenced by data. Yeah. And so, yeah. so when you're starting, you're creating Pollen, what year was, was that 2018? Am I thinking right on that? Yeah. Um, I started working on it maybe... 20, end of 2017, actually. Yeah, so it was a long time coming. Yeah, yeah. I've been thinking about it for a long time. Um, you know, when when Playlist first came out, it was very loose. Mm-hmm. It was just like, I mean, I remember in college, I would I was sitting in my living room just being like, I, I should make a playlist around focusing because I 
like to listen to music while I study. Yeah. So maybe this could work. And th- and th- that was kind of the inspiration for a lot of these. The whole direction of, of Tunigo at that point and early days of Spotify curation was just like, maybe it'd be fun to make a feel-good soul playlist. Yeah. <laughs> so we'd do it and we'd try it. And there's definitely still an element of that um, in the job. And that's that's really the most fun part of it. But um, But over the years, we've developed, you know, real systems for... Um, different audiences, you know, if you look into our, any of our genre categories, you'll see, you know, usually a big, big flagship playlist with the most followers and, and, and almost always the most listeners is right at the front of that. And then you'll see a whole series of other more niche playlists within that yeah. genre. Um, and all of those work together to, to create a system where we can, you know, try tracks out and, and work tracks up through it, you know, test it at a lower level and, and work their way up to the top. So, um, I, I had um, been using that system. We we all had, and to to a lot of really great success. Um, and with with pollen, it was really the thought was, um, you know, I I feel like some of my favorite things are the ones that are the hardest to define in terms of genre. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like the Frank Oceans of the world, where it's like, yeah, he's got elements of R and B, but also pop and you know, alternative and everything electronic. It's like it's, and that's what makes it so good. So it was like, okay, well, I think there's an audience for this of people that are, you know, interested in listening in the boundaries and uh, maybe pushing their taste and, um, you know, kind of want to hear what's next in some ways. So it was like, okay, like maybe we could create something um, genreless, um, and th- and that's really how it was born. And then it was just how do we create a brand and and position it in a way that maybe feels right mm-hmm. um, and different to people. Yeah, well, it's weird because now I think of, like, a genreless playlist and I think of, you know, like, you know, pollen or, you know, like, mellow bars or something that's not really specific towards a genre. It just mm-hmm. seems natural. Like, of course, that's a thing. Yeah. But it really, I mean, it was, what, like, 2018 when it came out then, I guess. Mm-hmm. And it was the first genreless playlist that Spotify had put out, correct? Yeah, and I think we we had had genreless playlists before. It was, like, a chill playlist or something. Yeah. You know, it would be, like, you know, chill hits could have something across any genre, you mm-hmm. know. Um, but it was the first time that we really positioned it in that way. Where yeah. it's like, the point of this playlist is not genre. The point of this playlist is good music to a certain audience. Mm-hmm. You know? And the other thing about it is that, you know, Pollen, you guys have like a pretty crazy engagement rate. You know, mm-hmm. Pollen's one of those playlists that it's not really like you're just kind of like listening in the back or whatever you're excited to hear it get updated and things like that do you think there's a reason that it's become so successful or that people pay so much attention to that specific playlist yeah i mean i think um i think a lot of that comes down to the way we created the brand and the way we positioned it um as you know this is quality first um we're really intentional about what music we put in that space um really thoughtful about it and um, I don't know. I mean, I think, um, I think the branding, the, the overall look and feel of it, it feels kind of different. Mm-hmm. That was intentional, um, to make it feel kind of special. And it's kind of amazing. We have very little space to play with these things, but the work that our designers do, you know, when, when everything kind of follows a specific structure, if you break that a little bit, mm-hmm. um, it, it starts to feel, it feels very different in the, in the, in the scheme of things. So, um, I hope I don't get in trouble for saying this, but yeah, no, <laughs> I, I mean, I think it's, um, I can edit it out if I have to, no, no, <laughs> it's fine. I'm just kidding. But yeah, I mean, it is, it's like small changes make a, make a big impact. You know, it's like, um, what, what's the difference between, you know, various blogs, you know, it's, it's like 
it's really like they're probably covering a lot of the same music. Yeah. You know, or Twitter accounts or YouTube accounts are talking about the same things. It's just the way it's being presented. Um, and, and we so we paid a lot of attention to that. And coming up with the name took forever because we wanted to make it feel like there were layers of meaning um, that makes sense um, and that the branding represented that. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think overall, like, we wanted to make it feel special. Yeah. And uh, do you think this is something that you were just kind of thinking about and you're like, let's do this? Or was there like a specific time where you really saw that you felt people were transitioning from wanting to listen like genres to moods? Mm. Um, I don't I don't know. I mean, I think. The reality is people always want that. Mm-hmm. I think, um, and people maybe just did it in their own time before, mm-hmm. and now we've made it a lot easier. Yeah. You know, I think you come home in um, 1998, and you want to chill, so maybe <laughs> you put on Alanis Morissette. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> um, that might not be a good example, actually. But, um, you know, and, and I think that was the option. Now it's, you know, we, we have a playlist that we, we kind of tell you, this is great for when you want to come home and chill. Mm-hmm. So it kind of naturally flowed into it. You know, one of, one of the first most successful playlists we did was um, Your Favorite Coffee House. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the, the thought there was, you know, one of, the, one of the curators on the team was just like, you know, when I think of coffee house music, I think of this, maybe other people do too. Mm-hmm. Acoustic music, whatever. So it kind of created like the ideal coffee house playlist and it took off immediately. It mm-hmm. just, it felt familiar already. Yeah. So it was like, you know, we know the genres and we know various radio stations, but, um, you know, even those radio stations from all time have, have kind of programmed in that way, maybe to, to evoke a certain mood. And, and that's what separates two pop stations in the same city. Maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think it's also really interesting because I feel like there are a rise of like mood playlists going along with kind of how music and genres are changing, kind of like you said with Frank Ocean to flow a little bit more. You know what I mean? Like rap music maybe a couple years back is a lot different yeah. than it is now where you have, you know, just like songs that you're like, this is rap, but this is also singing. And then mm. you even have artists like Tyler, the creator, for example, who started off as a rapper, but is he really one anymore? You know, things like that, I feel like have really helped to kind of push these like mood playlists because, yeah. you know, there really isn't a line anymore. Everything yeah. is just kind of flows together. Yeah. I mean, it used to be you had to have a lane to have success. Yeah. A very clear lane, you know, because you need to get played on radio Mm -hmm. to have to sell anything. So, I mean, I I think it's amazing that artists like Tyler can say, you know, I don't want to be a rapper anymore. Mm -hmm. (laughs) He doesn't want to be in the hip hop category. Um, I mean, I I think there's elements of it, obviously, but um, and he can have such crazy success. A number one album in 2019 with, you know, such a... um, difficult album in so many ways you know it's it's a real concept album and you know challenging but obviously super rewarding as well yeah well the other thing is also you know I feel like you really can't uh, you really can't you used to be able to kind of tell where a hit would come from you know what I mean like you could listen to an album by a popular artist and kind of identify like okay this would probably be the next hit off of that but now you don't really know where the hit's going to come from right it can come from a Spotify playlist it can come from TikTok and you can't really identify that hit until it happens and I think that's something that's definitely really different and really has been affected by playlists and you know different apps and social media and things like that for sure but another thing I think has really been affected and I'm interested to hear your thoughts on this is how with all this data now um, songs are kind of organized because Mm. I've heard a lot of people say that now that 
we have all this data and yeah. that a lot of ways a lot of ways the data will work is you know they'll maybe pick up how a song sounds and throw mm-hmm. that into a certain playlist or something like that automatically yeah. that a lot of artists will kind of make their songs so that the hooks come faster and that they get picked up more or i know that i think with spotify you get paid if it's like you listen to 30 seconds or mm-hmm. something so they want to automatically just like make you drawn in for those 30 seconds and then afterwards they're like whatever happens happens yeah yeah yeah, yeah. no i mean i think it's it's a reality mm-hmm. i think um you know songs get shorter and choruses come quicker mm-hmm. and more frequently it's it's um i think that's true in, in a lot of ways um i think the reality is like the way that people experience music at the end of the day hasn't changed that much mm-hmm. um i mean i i think one element of putting the chorus in front is like you know there, there's a skip button now mm-hmm. <laughs> you know on the radio you can't skip a song um so people want to make sure they get to the good part so people will stay and check it out um but i think at the end of the day like you know i'm, I'm still a believer in, in an album i think yeah. you need an album to be a career artist um i think you know i mean i i think like you can write a minute and 45 second long song that you know might go viral on mm-hmm. tiktok <laughs> yeah. or because you can only use how many seconds anyway but um <laughs> At the end of the day, it doesn't mean you're going to have a successful career. Yeah, that's um, very true. And I don't know, um, you know, I, I think a song still needs to be good, and it can be good if it's seven minutes or two minutes, but um, it, the quality still needs to be there. I don't think that's that's changed, and the, the emotional depth of it needs to be there um, always. Yeah, and do you think that the type of artist that is popular has changed maybe because of playlisting and streaming? Yeah, I mean, I think... Um, I'm proud of uh, proud of this in, in a lot of ways. It's like you know we create a focus playlist that um, you know or like a chill playlist that puts a lot of artists on that never would have been put on before. Mm-hmm. You know, so um, and often um, you know they'll they'll get a ton of streams from that. I think um, you know maybe those streams are more passive. Yeah. So um, you know people aren't leaning in quite as much, mm-hmm. um, but I think it's still like an important. Um, way to maybe build a foundation as an artist um so yeah i mean i think um there's just a lot of a lot of different ways to build now um i think targeting a playlist when you're writing a song is is not, not the a right good way. idea yeah. <laughs> not at all the right way to do that um but um but yeah i mean i think the reality is that there's there's a lot more paths to success now than there used to be mm-hmm. and um that's that's part of why i like doing this job and working at Spotify. Yeah, well, it's also one of those things where it's like, I feel like now people are almost gravitating towards more intimate music where it used to be previously, like, you know, people wanted to hear what was being played outside and, you know, just things that everyone knew. But now with people, you know, like Billie Eilish, for example, not, you know her music it's really it's not I don't want to say it's meant to be listened to through headphones because it's not but it's Mm. one of those things where it's like if you took Billie Eilish and I think put her five years back, I don't think she would get the same airplay. I think mm. she's one of those things that you can use her as an example that people are gravitating a little bit more towards wanting something intimate and something yeah. they can like listen to through headphones and really focus in on. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, she, she's a great example, you know, I mean, she and her brother produced that whole album oh, yeah. and it's intensely personal and, um, it's great. It's like tough too. It's like, it's intense. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think it's great. And I think, um, you know, she might not make, make that much sense in another time in, in music. Um, but yeah. Okay. And now 
I'm going to give you three years in the past, and you're going to tell me a significant moment in that year. So I'll see how good your memory is right now. So the first year is going to be 2013. Okay. Um, 2013, I think, significant personally, and then also I think, um, you know, maybe in a lot of ways for for the industry is... um, Spotify bought an app called Tunigo, mm-hmm. the one I was mentioned before, um, and decided that um, they wanted to have and own their own playlist and um, have an editorial voice in the music programming space. Um, and I think um, them investing in that and leaning into that obviously shaped my life and career, um, but I think also has had you know, a big effect on, you know, how people interact with streaming and um, the music industry interacts with Spotify and other streaming services. Okay, second year is going to be 2015. 2015 was the launch of Rap Caviar. So okay. um, that, that w- I think, was a big moment in that um, Spotify can really, um, you know, be an influence on and a part of culture. Mm-hmm. And I think up to then we were doing a lot of like good coffee house playlists, but that's maybe not moving the needer- needle in culture in the same way. Mm-hmm. Um, but Rap Caviar, I think, is, you know, important in the way of like, this is a brand. It's meaningful in itself. It means a lot to the hip hop community and the hip hop audience. Um and it's great. It has a voice, you know? Yeah. Well, it's definitely a heavy hitter. I think you guys have, am I right, if I say 11 million followers on that playlist? Would you know that? I have no idea, but that sounds sounds good. Sounds I'm going to say 15 right. million, actually. 15 no, I, million? I don't know. <laughs> it's a lot. But it's, pro- I mean, it has to be either your biggest or one of your biggest, yeah. fo- most followed playlists. And it definitely is one that I feel like really taps into every element that, I mean, you know, I don't work at Spotify, but that I imagine Spotify wants to go into with the development of the visual as well as the audio and yeah. creating a story, which, you know, it does very well. Yeah. Um, and then with that, I have one more year. You yep. ready? Okay. 2018. 2018. Okay. Um, that one, I'm going to say pollen. I feel like that's easy. I mean, it was a huge part of my life and a lot of what I was thinking, but, um, about at the time, um, but I think um, for me, it was um, thinking about maybe the future of Playlist mm-hmm. um, and hopefully like a first stab at like connecting with audiences in the way that hip hop and rap caviar are connected, where it's like hip hop is a culture outside of just music. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's fashion and um, visuals and everything, you know, it touches all parts of culture. Um, and I think how do we tap into that in other cultures? So for Pollen, it was, it was, you know, there's like an alternative scene out there Mm -hmm. and maybe it's not the Strokes anymore, but who is that new artist? And maybe it's Claro or Frank Goshen or whoever who are kind of leading that, um, who are kind of pushing the boundaries right now. So it was like, who, who are the fans of that culture and how do we connect with them? And, and I think, um, the, the hope is that we can create a lot more spaces like that, you know, Mm -hmm. like what does it mean? to be really into punk in 2019, Mm -hmm. 2020, you know? Um, And I think, like, right now, maybe that means Denzel Curry. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's more about, like, an ethos and a lifestyle Mm -hmm. than it is about um, a genre or a sound even, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, Yeah, JPEG Mafia, like... For sure. He's, like, the most punk rapper. He's, like, the the most punk. Like, it's... And I don't know. I mean, you don't need (laughs) to sound like the Ramones, you know? It's, like, this is the future. 
Um, so what does it look like to create something for that audience? You know, yeah. the kids who are in the mosh pit mm-hmm. well, in 2019, 2020. It, it's really interesting you brought that up, too, because I know, like, I read an article when we were about to have you on the show. It's like looking up other articles and someone had wrote an article about how you guys go to live shows to look at, you know, different artists for playlisting. And I was kind of like, well, what does seeing an artist live have to do with playlist curation? Mm. Because, it, you know, like in something like A&R, you know, you're breaking an artist in a sense. It makes sense to me for that. But for playlist curation, I was like, well, you're not actually really seeing the artist. But what you kind of brought up there is that you get to see the people going to that show and kind of around that atmosphere and how they react to a certain song. So yeah. do you think that's kind of what helps you to, I guess, like segment things off? Yeah, totally. Um, I think... Yeah, like understanding who a new audience is, um, who an artist audience is. You know, I mean, I think I remember when like Claro and Bedroom Pop Space was popping up and it was like, who who is listening to this? Like there's millions and millions of views on, on this YouTube video and then uh, millions and millions of streams on Spotify. And it was um, like, who are these kids? I'm like, this. it sounds cool and I like the music, but... Um, I don't understand what this is. And I think going to see it live, um, really helps you kind of figure that out. Like, you know, Denzel Curry show, mm-hmm. you know, it's maybe hard to understand, like, why do people like this uh, super aggressive, intense shit? Yeah. Um, and, and then it's like, you have to feel it. You have to be there. You have to feel the crowd, whatever. Um, I think, I think that's really important. Um, and I think it also helps us, you know, when we're trying to like, crystallize in our brains of like creating a new playlist or um, understanding a new space it's like it's important to be there and experience it all right and then going off of what you said talking about these kids becoming famous things like that if you could go back in time and tell something to your younger self what would it be um uh, i think hard advice but look at the big picture yeah um i think it's really easy to get caught up in um, whatever you're doing um, at any moment, <laughs> but uh, especially at work. I think um, getting caught up in, in the details, important to be detail-oriented, but getting caught up in the details and missing like what's really happening. I think for me, um, you know, coming out of college and, and going almost straight into like a, a big, big startup at that time and now yeah. like a huge company like Spotify, yeah. thousands of people, I, I kind of didn't take the time to step back and look at where is the company moving overall? Mm-hmm. Um, how are people at the top really thinking about the future? Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, and I'm trying to get better about that um, and always trying to develop in that way. But I think that would be that would be my biggest piece of advice. And do you think that's something that constantly challenges you in your career? Or can you think of an example of a time that you really felt challenged in your career and how you kind of overcame it or are still working to overcome it? Yeah. Um, I mean, I think that's always a challenge. I mean, when you have a company this big that is moving in a lot of different directions at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's it's all the same direction, but it's, um, you know, I think it's like uh, one, one of my um, favorite coworkers, Cecilia, who actually worked on Pollen with me, helped, mm-hmm. helped come up with the title of that playlist. Shout out to her. Shout out to Cecilia. <laughs> um, she always talked about, like, it's like steering a cruise ship versus, like, when you're just like a small team, it's like, it's like you're a speedboat. Um, but the whole company is a cruise ship, you know, and there's one captain or a couple people <laughs> steering it. And even then it takes forever to change any direction. So, um, understanding how those like big ch- shifts are coming and how they're going to affect you is, is really hard. 
Um, and it, it definitely challenges me all the time and, you know, kind of understanding them and, and not maybe reacting to them, but, but understanding them and adapting. Mm -hmm. And then being in a job where you're doing playlist curation, Mm -hmm. especially for these, you know, massive playlists that have lots of followers, you know, you're really helping artists every day do what they love, you know, helping increase their streams and things like that. And so how do you think that's affected your own personal growth, being able to help benefit an artist? Um, that's huge. I mean, that's, that's one of the many reasons why I love this job, Mm -hmm. I think is, um, you know, being able to do that. I, I think the, the reality of being a curator is you can't think that much about that piece of it. Yeah. Um, you know, you really can't think about like creating careers or like, you know, you, you help, you know, them buy a house or something. And people have, have, have said things to various editors in that vein. Um, it, it's, uh, dangerous, mm-hmm. you know, I think it's the, the most important thing is to, to make the users happy yeah. and to create something meaningful for the audience. Mm-hmm. Um, and if a, a big byproduct of that is helping an artist community or an artist, that's huge. And I, it's, it's super, super important to me, but it's definitely second behind um, the, the user experience. The user experience. That's good to know. And then, you know, for some people, success might mean financial progress, job promotion. Obviously, you are very successful at this point, but how would you define success? Hmm. Um, I think success for me is, I think, um, creating and working on things that I really love and believe in. Mm-hmm. That's kind of cheesy, but no, it's, it's, it's nice. a reality. I mean, my, my mentality has always been, if you do good work and you think about doing good work for the company you're at or the team you're on, then the other stuff will follow mm-hmm. eventually. And it's really hard to be patient sometimes yeah. and not just be like, I deserved a raise two years ago or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's important, um, you know, maybe when it's time and you're not getting that raise, it's time to leave. Mm-hmm. But I, I've, I've been patient and I think, um, you know, I think um, it's served me well over the years of just like doing good work, um, doing it for the right reasons. And then um, the rest of it follows. That's good advice. And are there any last messages, final words you want to say to anyone that, you know, might be wanting to pursue a career in music um, but doesn't really know how to start or any advice you could give? Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think, um, yeah, there's because there's so many more paths to success now Mm -hmm. um, across the board in the music industry, there's just a lot more ways to do it. Um, It means there's a lot more ways that people think they can game the system mm-hmm. um and some of those ways might work um but usually in the short term um what i would say is like as at, for artists like i think you know work on creating the best music you can yeah um you know y- you don't need to have like your instagram on point <laughs> before you have a good song uh-huh. you know what i mean like work on that um and um focus on on that piece and creating something real and um authentic and then i think once again the rest should follow there's there's so many paths to success and and ways to get found and ways to have people hear your music um it's definitely going to be work but i think it's like one step at a time is is still the way and you know building that like core fan base that loves you mm-hmm. even if that's like your group of friends at college yeah that's that's going to be the most important mm-hmm. especially in the beginning 
All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on, John. And thank you so much for talking to me. Thank you for having me. This this was super fun. Yeah, of course. So you can find our podcast, Came a Long Way. Our Instagram is came.a.long.way. You can find us on Apple Music. You can also find us on Spotify. Shout out to Spotify. I know you guys are pushing hard for playlists right now. Podcasts, yeah. We got them. Are you a podcast guy? Of course. Really? Of course. 